Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Faith here with your podcast, Welcome Toast. Just give me chocolate and nobody gets hurt. Listen to our show in small bites or enjoy the whole thing. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to join us as we eat, drink, and be merry. I don't even know where to begin to tell you what's going on on this show. We have someone who has started a bakery in an Airstream trailer and takes it all around Connecticut for private parties and to farmer's markets. It's the most amazing thing. Her stuff is fantastic. We have a wonderful red just slightly effervescent dry red wine for you to enjoy this summer that goes with anything on the grill. We have a person who's done a book. If you don't know how to cook or you do and want to know more, this is an extraordinary thing that she's done. It's called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Know those four things and you can cook. And Chris Chris agrees. <laughs> My treasured food buddies are here. Senior contributors Chris Brasberry, Alex Province, and our senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken, who often joins us on the show. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hello. Okay, here we go. We're going to start with something I had written online to all of you about this. This is a beer and chocolate ice cream float. Mm. So so here's how this happened. I was uh, sitting around the house and I was having a beer. I just felt like something effervescent and really ice cold. So I had a new Belgium ale. Love them. Sitting, yeah, so they make wonderful beer. So I took a couple sips of it and I thought, just bang out of my head. I thought, what would happen if I put chocolate ice cream in this and made it into a kind of float. So I took a couple scoops of the chocolate ice cream I had in the freezer. It was uh, Joe and Lisa's from uh, Made in Sag Harbor. Mm. So I, on the east end of Long Island, so I put the, dropped it in. It fizzed up and mm-hmm. I started to drink this thing and I almost fell over. Wow. It was so delicious. So I'm kind of inventing. I know people have done this with stout because stout and chocolate goes yeah. together. Yeah. No, I'm saying that <laughs> ale, just a beautiful ale, really works with a good chocolate ice cream, your favorite. So your favorite ale, your favorite chocolate ice cream, mix them together, leave a little room at the top of the glass, and it just fizzes right up and it is so refreshing. Refreshing. Did you eat it like a root beer float, like a spoon? No <laughs> spoon. You drank You it. just drink. No, because nice. it fizzed up enough that it sort of disappeared into the beer, and it was oh, sort yes. of a chocolate beer. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying this. I was seriously the That's most summer. fantastic thing. Yeah, yeah Alex, you beer. know what it reminded me of? Your drink with the, the lemon and the kava and the sorbet. Ooh. So, mm-hmm. so remember we made yeah. those. You can you can uh, search that on our website. Anyway, I've, I feel like you need a straw for that. <laughs> like yeah, a nice well, old-fashioned spiraled straw. <laughs> just really, really wonderful. I encourage you Delicious. to try it. So, if you want to try your favorite ice cream, your favorite ale, whatever it might be, give this a shot, and it's on our website, foodschmooze.org. Um, 
Chris, let's talk about steak because just before the show, we were trying something that relates to our cookbook later. Mm -hmm. The one I mentioned, salt, fat, acid, heat, which I think should be on every home cook shelf. Uh, Not only beginners, but everybody. This is going to have a special place. We're going to get to that in a bit. But you made uh, Caesar salad with sliced steak, and it was so perfectly cooked, so moist and flavorful. And I said to you, Chris, because I have used the meat that you use. The exact and I, same. I know, I think but me too. I can't, my, I can't so, make Yeah, you've, I've given you those too, yeah. I can't make mine come out the way you did. What it, is your secret so, for cooking a steak? It's funny because I always tell people how important it is to rest meat after you grill it, yeah. right? I, okay, okay, go ahead. So, and this is how crazy... Let's pretend we've got a steak here. Okay, but before we do that, let's talk about resting. So this is why this steak came out so good. This you steak, undercooked it. You didn't overcook yeah, it. And how long did it rest? It rested for about 14 hours. Oh. <laughs> That's a little extreme. Because I cooked <laughs> I'm it. Hungry. No, because we don't have go. a grill here at the studio. <laughs> so I grilled it yesterday. Yeah. And like he said, I, I grilled it under. So it was just to maybe just under rare. And then I put it on a plate and I threw it in the refrigerator. And after it cooled down, I wrapped it. And then today, so here we have an oven, and in the oven, I turned it all the way up to 500 degrees, so I really got it cranking with nothing in it, just let it preheat, and then I threw the steak on a little sheet pan, and I put it in there for, I don't even know, five, four minutes, five minutes, just to get it warm. To the interior? To do the... To bring up the temperature just a little bit, because it was under rare, and I wanted it to be rare. But it would also, right, warm it up, right, because it was a hot steak. So that is the key. That resting period is so important. The longer you rest, the better it gets, even if it's overnight in the refrigerator. Let's let's say I'm at home (laughs) and I'm either grilling or pan frying, whatever I'm doing. It doesn't matter what cut of steak this is. How long do you want me to rest rest. it? Let it rest. Let it rest. Um, Okay, so if I was – I would get home from work. I would light my grill. I would throw – as soon as the grill got hot, I would throw my steaks on it. And then I would just get my steaks and I'd bring them right to the temperature I wanted them. Say if it was medium rare, I'd bring them to medium rare and then I would leave them off on the side and then I would grill my other stuff. If I Like when I get my grill going, I like doing the other things. But I would keep busy and the grilling the other stuff would really keep busy while those steaks just sit there. So nothing happens to the steaks while they're just sitting they there. They just sit there. You the even put them in the refrigerator and then reheat them. That's better than taking them right off the grill. And it is, and this, and I know it's counterintuitive. And I know it sounds crazy, but I think it's better to cook your steak like we just did overnight, refrigerate it, and bring it out the next day and throw it back on the grill or in the oven for then, a few minutes. For a few minutes, then take a steak, season it, grill it, and take it right off the grill and eat it because it's never going to be this juicy. You know, we're in now it's summertime. We're grilling every night. I feel like I would grill tomorrow night's dinner tonight. So yeah. I would, if I'm doing, you know, whatever, hot dogs, we're in hot dogs all of a sudden. So I would, <laughs> I would be doing hot dogs tonight and then I would cook steak for tomorrow and then do your trick. Yeah. Or, or just you promise it, it'll come out yeah, like that. Or just do it earlier, right? Just do it earlier and let it sit. Let it. Yeah. I mean, I know we say fifteen minutes, so twenty we, minutes. I just love it. The, just... the, the home cook thinks things like, 
it's going to dry out. The texture of the meat is going to change somehow. Mm. Don't you think this? Yeah, but it gets better. Uh, you know, the, the crust on the outside from the searing is not going to hold. We think all those things. I'm waving my hand. And you're saying hand. you can wrap it and actually Ugh. put it in the refrigerator. And you slice it and so thinly, too. When, yeah, but that when you matter. take it out of the refrigerator, do you want it to come to room temperature before you put it in the pan? Um, yeah, you can, or you don't even have to. If you, you do really? a 500 degree oven, that's why I do it hot, really hot for a short period of time. So it gets that. So sear- I want my oven first. Yes. Or, or, or you can regrill it too, right? Or you can shut yeah, the lid, or- preheat the grill either way mm-hmm. and just really quick, just bring it back to temperature. And if I do it overnight, I undercook <laughs> it. Right. And if <laughs> I'm doing the it, best. Yeah. And it's so important, but look how juicy those steaks. And no, that's not a, that's not an expensive cut. That's not a ribeye or we, a New York strip. A, you do that with those among, other cuts. It, this is a flat iron yep. steak that Chris and I love. And it's a, it's among the most flavorful, flavorful. of the beef cuts so you can do other kinds but it's so about no- the doneness right and the juiciness and all steaks yeah, this was medium same. rare it was under. medium rare rare i do mm-hmm. a little over rare just a teeny bit that way when you slice the ends it's a little more okay. for people Whatever. so these are great tips yeah. chris i really really appreciate that can we go to wine yes because we've got a couple of wine discoveries we're going to get to one later mm-hmm. uh well actually in a very short while so this is a wine that is from the Piemonte region of Italy. On the last food wine tour that I did to Italy, it was Piemonte region. And we went to the most wonderful places, and I adore the wines from there because they are handmade. There's no junk being added mm-hmm. to wines. Sometimes they'll be a dollar or two more expensive in the United States because we can trust how it's made. Smaller production too, right, Alex? I mean, these are not interesting, right? These are tiny vineyards. Yeah, because of the kind of... I was going to say, because of the kind of region it is, it doesn't make sense for one of these industrial producers to Mm -hmm. come in. And plus, it's more remote, so it's not something they're going to do. So we've got a wine here we want to tell you about. This is at foodschmooze.org. And it's uh, made by a vineyard called, or a winemaker, um, and vineyard called Renato Ratti. This is a Barbera, which is one of the great wines of the Piemonte region. Now this, Alex, this is a 2015. This is a red that is served very, very chilled, we think. And all my reds are served chilled in the summer. Alex, um, h- how would we describe it? There's like a faint effervescence in this red. You picked that up right away as soon as you tasted it. So these fresh reds have, you know, when they're made, they have that little, little touch of texture on your tongue, little effervescence, and you got that right away. And and sure enough, when you flip over the bottle, it's fresh vintage. So as this ages, it'll lose that. But that's a way of detecting that it's like fresh and ready to just delicious can you both talk about what would this go with coming off the grill or your oven if you don't have a grill salmon yeah swordfish swordfish really yeah. about it's anything rare. i can think yeah. of on the grill chicken. this would go with but this would even be good with like a sweet barbecue sauce chicken right or a pork chop with right a sweeter maybe even a little spicy barbecue sauce chilled right 
You I, know how some of the Spanish wines just go with everything? Yeah. This style of wine is, uh, is, is just light, refreshing, has great color, but would go with anything. So if you were going to do, you know, even paella or barbecue, that would be good, or Swordfish salmon, on the grill, yeah. salmon on the grill. So this is one of those reds that traverses a great territory. You know, yeah. it is... Uh, you can do fish on the grill. You can do uh, poultry on the grill. You can do beef on the grill. Really, just about vegetables. This it, is a- j- becomes joyous when there's a chill on this wine. Yeah. In another season, I would say to you, um, let its richness just stand as mm-hmm. it is. I think it's it's perfect. Like if you're having a bunch of different things on the grill, that's the, like sometimes you, people are always asking me, like oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing pork on the grill, I'm doing this. But sometimes you do a lot of things. You do burgers and chicken, right? If you're having a party, this is that perfect wine that can go through all those different things that you throw on the grill, from the vegetables to uh, to a mm-hmm. burger to mm-hmm. chicken, right? If I had a picnic, I would have this in a bucket of ice along with some other reds and, you know, drink it out of a solo cup. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Me too. So this is uh, Renato Rotti's. We'll tell you. We take a picture of the label for the the site. That's why you want to. And I would say call ahead to your wine store. They can't stock everything in these stores. So call ahead and tell them what you want to do. This is um, Renato Rotti's Barbera d'Asti Battaglione. And this is the 2015, and we love it. So you'll see on the site what we tell you to say so they can look it up in their book. It's Connecticut Distributors. And it's around, what do we say, Alex? Around 19? Exactly. 1899, 19, you know, okay, just $19. under 20. <laughs> $19 a bottle. And, uh, if you're counting just, that penny. <laughs> just delicious. And, and stay tuned because if you like wine, we have a Connecticut vineyard, a Merlot that we think is quite delicious and is going to go with our baked goods in our next segment. <laughs> this is fun talking about this with you. More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. Next, we have an Airstream trailer in Connecticut that's been turned into a bakery. It's just the most (laughs) incredible thing. I hope you'll make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. here we love that recording we wouldn't keep it off the air because we know kids and grown-ups uh that would include us <laughs> and, and both dimensions <laughs> they love it you know i can't tell you how many events i do and there are both people who have listened to the show for a long time 
and their children, which absolutely stuns me. And they say, I used to love when that song came on the show. So we can't think of changing that. So one thing we want to do before we get to uh, both desserts and Airstream trailer in Connecticut (laughs) and a particular wine that we found from a Connecticut vineyard. We want to tell you about our podcast, which is a copy of the show, and we will send it to you every week. It comes to your inbox automatically. There's no tricks. This doesn't cost anything. All you do is sign up for the show at foochmoose.org. You'll see it. Sign up for the podcast. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, and uh, from Hartford, wine broker Alex Province. And our special guest is Amanda Glover, and she is known as Amanda Bakes. Yes, she has a cookbook. It's called Sweetie, Bake Your Day. <laughs> and also, she has an Airstream trailer in Connecticut cool. and travels to people's homes as a kind of catering Airstream girl. Yeah. <laughs> she brings and, the party. <laughs> yep. And also is at the, it's the Morris. Is it, first the of Morris all, welcome to the Food Schmooze. Thank you. What? Thanks for having me. The, the Morris what? The Morris Marketplace. Okay. Yeah. So, um... You know, we love that. People who would just pull up an Airstream trailer and bakes in it. And we've been eating the things that Amanda bakes just before the show. (laughs) So good. Why? Because these are pure ingredients and absolutely delicious, Amanda. So thank you so much for bringing them. Thank you very much. And this leads to a a Connecticut wine we're going to talk about because it goes with your Merlot cake. Okay, Mm. it was Merlot wine. So we have have pictures (laughs) of this at at the website, foochmoose.org. You can look now Mm. as we have our conversation if you want to. Amanda, the Airstream you found where, and how did you decide to redo the interior? Where's it from? That's a great story. I found the Airstream on eBay. Um, I I did kind of a a search on the fly because I was interested in starting a food truck. And um, I came across this Airstream and I thought, well, it's got to be in Indiana or something because everything in eBay is miles and miles away. And it turns out it was in Danbury, Connecticut, which was an hour's drive. From where I live. Meant to be. So you weren't looking for an Airstream. You're, you were you're from, for a food truck. I was just looking for a food truck. Litchfield <laughs> Hills, right? I am from the Litchfield Hills, yes. <laughs> from the hills. Okay. From the hills. So you go get it. Yeah, I drove down. I took a look at it. It's the same year I was born. It was just oh, kind of stars aligned. Oh. Do I have to say what year I was no. born? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, would be a, it would be a 1978. It's vintage. <laughs> it's just like vintage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Me too. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what would you decide to outfit it with? It was originally a bakery, actually. It was already partially set up no, as a bakery. A it did have some small issues, which we find out upon yeah, sure. using it. Yeah. Um, a couple electrical fires, some plumbing issues. So I um, An adventure. I so. limped <laughs> through a half of a season, and then I brought it up to Manchester and had it gutted. I had Beautiful. It gutted. So here's the thing. Someone who says, I want to do a bakery in an Airstream. Let's just, just step back a second. I want to do a bakery in the Airstream. Finds an Airstream on eBay that was a... <laughs> And it's close. It yeah, and bakery. it was super close. And it's in Connecticut. Even if it didn't work, that's just remarkable. Yeah. So what's in there? What do you have in there? Um, I have a Blodgett half-sheet oven. Yeah. Um, wow. Blodgett's are awesome. Yeah. Yes. And um, I have rolling racks, prep tables, a three-bay sink, 
Um, a, it's a rolling a, kitchen. There's a bathroom in there. So, uh, of course. Yeah. It's everything a baker needs. Everything. Honestly. <laughs> this is completely so. Completely self contained. Oh and you should see it. For those of us, Beautiful. I have been for, you know, 40 years an Airstream nut. This one is a gorgeous creature. I love the aged patina of them, right? The ones that have that kind of weathered look, yeah, and yeah. yours is exact. It just and it futuristic brings, at the same time. It, yeah, it makes you think yes. of the, that time when they were rolling off the right, and they looked like something out of yeah. the future. So let's get to the the cookbook, which is called "Sweetie, Bake Your Day." It's Amanda Glover also known as Amanda Bakes, when you see her at farmer's markets or at your house, potentially, because she will drive it there and then start doing things right out of the Airstream for your party, which I think is about the most fabulous thing ever. I want to start with the oatmeal cream pies. I just ate them. And you can do these whether you're gluten-free or, you know, not gluten-free. These were, were these delicious. As good as they get. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the perfect lunchbox snack, I think. But, no, oh. Alex, what did you call it? It's like that perfect dessert in your brain that you go through life trying to find, and then you take a bite, and it's like, this is like what I've been looking for. It's, yeah, you it's know, really like, just fabulous. Oatmeal cream so pies. And you. listen to the kinds of ingredients. So for the cookies themselves, this is not the gluten-free recipe, although there is one in here. Uh, so brown sugar, sugar, butter, water, almond extract, eggs, all-purpose flour, rolled oats, baking soda, sea salt, and cinnamon. There's nothing with junk in here. So you can make this as organic-y as you want to make it. And then there's the cream filling because these are like sandwich cookies. Unsalted butter, powdered sugar, vanilla, and heavy cream. That's your thing, right, Amanda? Here's my question. How do you do this and make money? Now, now what I mean by that is these ingredients, because they are real things, Mm cost something they do and i also get my eggs from a local farmer right down the street from the market yeah um, so i pay premium premium for the eggs but i really think that that's what makes the baked goods stand out that's the flavor that's Mm. that's where the quality comes in and that's how i can make money is because people appreciate that quality and they're looking for that it's not an everyday bakery you know, getting eggs from a commercial supplier and, and they're, you know, I use Arethusa milk from oh, right in my town. And um, yeah. we love them. We're big fans. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so, so here's the point with me. When I go to uh, lead a food and wine tour to Europe, what happens is I come back and I think, why didn't I gain weight? Mm-hmm. And I realize because the chem- there are no weird chemicals. Right. And at least that's my private theory. No weird chemicals in my diet. Mm-hmm. Of course, yes, I'm walking around a lot, but there's something about the food content that I think has an effect. Do you think so, too? I do, and I like to stress to home bakers that using quality ingredients is success. You will be successful cooking anything if you use quality ingredients. So you true. think so? Oh, God, mm-hmm. yeah. I do. I really Why? do. Why? Well, the eggs raised in a pasture have so much more flavor. The yolks have so much more um, fat content and the color of the yolk. Making a buttercream with a fresh farm egg, it melts in your mouth. It's not sweet or cloying or 
doesn't hit you in the back of the throat and make you kind of gag a little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it or just, give you the sore throat. Some of those like store-bought cakes like yeah, hurt, give you a sore throat. It almost tastes like, yeah, you know, it's room temperature ice cream. There's a reason why there's it's some chemical so or creamy and delicious. <laughs> and, um, okay. Let me move on to this because I absolutely love this. And I think these recipes are great just because we have tried these things right here in the studio. <laughs> We, yes, we <laughs> devoured them. The cookbook is called uh, Sweetie, Bake Your Day. And this is Amanda Glover, the author, who has an Airstream, a bakery Airstream trailer. And she takes it to the Morris, what we call the farmer's market there, and also to people's homes. And how far would you go? Um, I go 50 miles so further than that, you would mm-hmm. there would be a, a charge for gas for del- and yeah, whatnot. To okay. Bring it, yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm just thinking. I'm She's trying to get you to the, to the Log Island. <laughs> Do you need something <laughs> special to tow it with? A truck? A pickup. Or? I, oh. I drive a pickup oh, yeah. truck. <laughs> Good <laughs> That's for fun. you. Red, yeah. I hope. Okay. Here we go. You guys, you were big into these raspberry lemonade bars. Oh, yeah. So this is flour, salt, sugar, butter, you know, eggs, the usual things, then lemon zest and lemon juice and fresh raspberries. And for the glaze powdered sugar, lemon juice, lemon zest. These are real foods. Okay, tell me. They zing and they're moist. You take a bite and you don't need to instantly grab a glass of milk. Yeah, I think that's what I liked about it is the moisture. Yeah, and the fresh raspberries. Mm, And you said they were from your garden. So you just can't, yeah. yeah, you can't buy that. Yeah. You just oh, you have to, right? Oh, oh. Yeah. So, no, okay, so we can't. But it doesn't yeah. matter. It could be blueberries. It does. I have it could be whatever you have around. I love to go to. And whatever you have around the house yeah. that you could oh, get. Oh, yeah, it's very okay. adaptable. You okay. can even leave the berries or out no fruit, if it's not in season. Yeah. 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 Okay, so by the way, the recipes we're talking about at our website, foodschmooze.org, including information about this cookbook and about what Amanda does because we really are fans. Now, there is an extra recipe that I'm going to give back to because I don't want to short us on time for this. This is her chocolate Merlot cake. She brought us a red wine from a Connecticut vineyard. After five minutes, this thing burst open in the glass, and I really loved it. So your chocolate Merlot cake is... Merlot, a cup of it, mm-hmm. unsalted butter, cocoa powder, flour, sugar, baking soda, sea salt, eggs, sour cream. And then there's this glaze of butter and sugar and dark cocoa powder and heavy cream. Merlot again, sea salt and sour cream. Honestly. This one, this is the reason you have to buy the book. Because, you know, Faith, you know me. I don't eat dessert. My father's a pastry chef. No, he really I, doesn't. I, don't, I nibble. I, and I took a couple bites of the cookie and the and that. They were good. But that, oh, my God. Good. They were great. They were awesome. I love your cookie. But this chocolate thing, oh, my God. I was like, you only gave me a half, Robin. Where's the other half? I just, I figured, you know. And so juicy as it's, well. Oh, They're it's moist. moist. It has acidity. Your mouth just the wants desserts more. desserts look like. Like they should be sitting on the countertop of uh, like Bridges of Madison County yeah. or something, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> those, okay. those yeah, that was things. the one. So yes. Amanda <laughs> wonderfully not only uh, gives us her book and the recipes for our website, but also brings a Merlot to have specifically with that cake. Mm-hmm. So 
And this is the wine in the cakes. <laughs> and but, the glaze. So and I want to do a shout out to SMV. These are your, the initials to Sunset Meadow Vineyards. And this is family owned and operated a vineyard in Litchfield County in Goshen specifically. My hometown. Yeah. This Merlot of theirs, which is around $19, $20 a bottle, if you give it five minutes in the glass, mm-hmm. the most gorgeous mm-hmm. fruit comes out in this wine. I really it's loved crazy, it. Right? Thank you, Amanda, You're for welcome. turning us on to them. Sure. That the, happens to be the wine you used in your cake. I do. I use a lot of local products yeah. in my baked goods. So that one's always in the cake? Always. Oh, wow. Always. Very good. Not yeah. just for us. That's mm-hmm. cool. It's so this is a farm that's 50 acres. Mm-hmm. That's really quite amazing. And you were saying, because I've never Mm -hmm. seen them, I'm going to take a drive out there, that their acreage is on, uh, the the vines are on uh, southern-facing slope. slope. That's the key to Bordeaux. It's key to a lot of vineyards where the lesser wines are further down in more shade, but the ones that are higher up on the hillside are the premier wines. So yep, that's a lucky yeah. spot. Yeah, very. It's, and and the sunsets are beautiful, oh, as yeah. named. The... How'd you come up with this particular recipe for the Merlot cake? I was making a chocolate stout cake for a while there. Oh, and yeah. I decided to swap stout for Merlot. And, and just as idea. an experiment? Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I'm experimenting constantly. And with... what does the wine do? Um, the wine provides like a sweetness yeah, and, acidity and, and it too. takes away the stout cake had a little bit of a bitterness and a sourness yeah. to it, which is yeah. delicious with chocolate as well. But uh, the wine provided a fruity sweetness yeah. and a little so, acidity, like Chris said. Yeah. To the so cake. Where, Mer- uh, where stout is on the bitter side and mm-hmm. can be fantastic, the way oh, Broccoli yeah. Rob yeah. can be. Mm-hmm. This was on the floral kind exactly. of sweeter side or raisiny yeah. almost and, right? and, yeah. I, and i can see that sometimes stout cakes are too much right you get one bite it's good sure. you get another bite your mouth sort of gets tired of it real quick because it's so much where this is so subtle yeah it lightened, it lightened it up um, yeah so they at the vineyard mm-hmm. they have something called a merlita that is beautiful for a, a summer day it is a merlot slushy so <gasps> it's it comes out what? of a slushy machine churning the oh slushy, my God. I want and that. it comes in a little glass. Like an Italian ice, but the, You can sit wine. out on the vineyard property in an Adirondack chair on a, a sunny day, and just, you're in heaven. You're drinking this Merlot slushy, slushy With overlooking the vines. spoon or paddle. Or you don't straw. need it. It, it goes yeah. pretty quick. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? It's very refreshing. Say, this wine, though, sometimes mm-hmm. people think, you know, because they're so far north that it doesn't, uh, you know, ripen properly. But this is like a fully ripened. Right. It's got to be the hillside. Really nice on, right? Merlot. Yeah. And like Faith said, yeah. that hill makes a big difference. Yeah. Because Goshen's got a short growing season. It's cold. I'm from there. It's cold up there. It does. So I have to say, hats off to them. But yeah, you know really what, Amanda? It. Hats off to you. Thank you. Because uh, having tasted your things uh, as we go to our our next cookbook, uh, which is really remarkable in terms of learning to cook, whether you're a home cook or someone who's just starting out and wants to learn, boy, we have a cookbook coming up. But for this one, also at our website, Sweetie, Bake Your Day. It is really terrific because it's real food, and I love the flavors in here. And there, she talks about how to make these baked goods gluten-free, 
and she has a very good mix. There's not a metallic taste that can be the case in many gluten-free flour mixtures. Flour yeah, I was going to say that's the other reason you have to get this book is because of that flour the mix that she has in there. Mix, yeah. yeah, it's great. So I guess we have to go to the Morris Farmer's Market now. Sundays? Yeah, uh, actually, it's now Saturday? Thursday nights, Thursday nights. Uh, right. 5 to 7.30. Hey, right. Amanda, can I have See your you trailer? <laughs> <laughs> I welcome you for a tour. Well, there is a bathroom. Oh, there's, there's a bathroom. <laughs> Does it have oh, any signage nice. if we see you drive by, or how do we know it's you? Uh, I'm perched up on the hillside. You can see it from the road. What are you looking, waving no, at got, all of them? No, you're coming to our house. <laughs> no, you are the best. Yeah. You're just wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you for your d- yeah. delicious flavor in oh, your It was fun rice. to be here. Thank you for your generosity. Yeah. All those things are on our website at foodschmooze.org. We love the local, as you can hear. Please support your local food growers and food makers. You know the podcast at foodschmooze.org. And with this next cookbook, which is great for teaching you how to cook with or without recipes. Honestly, fantastic. We're going to give you some recipes, too. Stay with us. is the Food Schmooze Party offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, the Hamptons. The senior producer is Robin Doyon Aiken, and to hear the show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. You can go to us online at foodschmooze.org. Now I want to talk with you, we all do, about this cookbook. And here's what I want to say about this cookbook. If you are a home cook as I am, even if you are a professional cook, though perhaps you're, you're beyond the rest of us, if you're someone who's just starting out and wants to know how to cook, this book will be, have a permanent place on my bookshelf because I was so knocked out at um, not only the recipes at the end, but the description at the beginning about the four things I need to understand to not only be a good cook based on recipes, but to be a good cook based on trying things all by myself. How do you do that? I don't have the courage to do it. Honestly, understanding just four things can make you do that. This woman is amazing. Her name is Samin Nosrat. And her book is called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Those four things, you might think, huh? What does that mean? Well, we're going to tell you. And when you hear this, you're going to go, oh, it was like the dawning of something for me. Salt, fat, acid, heat. Samin, welcome to the Food Schmooze Party. Thank you so much for having me, Faith. You're with Alex Province and Chris Prosperi, Robin Doyen Aiken. So... 
I know from your story that you too began to grasp that these four things, as you rotated through various kitchens, that these were the four things that were common to every place you cooked, right? Yeah. And the amazing thing is I've been cooking now for 17 years and it still holds true. Everywhere I go, all around the world, it really is the sort of roadmap that everyone uses, whether or not they can articulate it to you, to get to good food. So you start in your book because it's called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Of course, you start with salt. I happen to adore salt in things. <laughs> and so I was particularly interested. And you were saying not only what technically what salt does, but in terms of what happens in our mouths. Can you explain that? Because salt sure. can be used to either inspire something that you're creating or it can be used to recover from something that's happening it's such a necessary thing and the amount if you're allowed to have salt is much more than we think it is go ahead the basic sort of kernel of what salt does for our cooking is that it enhances flavor and you know that happens on a molecular level with certain flavors Stuff. intersection <laughs> of taste and smell and temperature, and so many different other things. And so the sort of miracle of what salt does is it unlocks a lot of aromatic molecules for us as we're eating, and the more aromatic molecules we can experience when we're eating, the more flavor we get. So that's one big part of it. It also works with meat and proteins to help things become more tender. And I think another really big important thing is um, knowing when to add salt to your food will affect how good it tastes. Hmm. And so, Such as? Well, with meat, I really believe in salting meat in advance to give it the time to travel all the way through and season a piece of meat all the way from within. So when I say in advance for a chicken, that means maybe the night before or in the morning. For Thanksgiving turkey, I usually salt my turkey on Tuesday for Thursday. The bigger the piece mm. of meat, the earlier I put the salt on mm. because I want to give it a chance to travel all the way through. You know, if you salt the chicken right before it goes in the oven, the skin will be nice and salty and seasoned. But the inside, once you take a bite of that breast meat, it won't be that salty. So I definitely encourage people to use a little bit more of it than they're comfortable with, especially in water and boiling water, because you want to create a nice salty environment that can help your food become seasoned all the way from within in the short time that it spends in the pot. So I usually do this overly dramatized thing where I put handfuls and handfuls of salt in a pot of pasta water, you know, and my students, they flip out. They can't believe what I'm doing and how salty I'm making the water. You know, 95% yeah. of that salt or more is going down the drain. That's it, what I tell my young chefs. Every day when they put a teaspoon of salt in like a two-gallon pot of water. Which is what I <laughs> That's yeah. not going to be enough. And they're like, but you can't use that much salt. And that's what you say. It's going down the drain. Not yeah. all that salt is going to penetrate your food. But why are you making, uh, creating that much salinity in a pasta water? What, what does it do? Well, the way I understand it, the way I like to think of it in my mind is I like everything that I eat to be seasoned evenly throughout. And so if the pasta water, it's a little bit easier actually to imagine it with something green and, and vegetables that have minerals. Mm, yeah. If you imagine your green beans that you throw into a pot of water, they're rich with minerals that they got from the soil that they grew in. And so uh, uh -huh. it's like a basic chemical process. And mm -hmm. if your salty water 
is less mineral rich than the green beans themselves, then they're actually going to relinquish yeah. some of their minerals. But if the water is saltier and more mineral rich, mm-hmm. then they're going to absorb that. And along with those minerals, they get the salt and they get that benefit of being seasoned from mm-hmm. within. They'll spend less time total in the water. They won't have as much time to give up uh, their minerals. They'll be more nutritious and they'll be way more delicious. Yeah. I tell people to try it side by side. And that's what I do when I see someone putting the tablespoon of salt in the water. It's like, okay, you do your yours, I'll do mine, and we'll do them side by side and then taste the green bean, right? And it always works. <laughs> always works, and they never go back, right? So I'm reading, I'm reading um, uh, Samin Nusrat's book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, those four words, and I go through the salt chapters, and I think, wow, that's so interesting because you tell the story about going through a particular kitchen I think it was your polenta, and it might have been in Italy, and you, or wherever it was, you said you put in a little salt. Then you put in more salt mm-hmm. and came back to the chef and said, is this like your, your polenta? And he said, come with me. Back into the kitchen you went. And he put in so mm-hmm. much salt mm-hmm. into that. Yeah, I mean, he was also really huge man, like of huge stature, and his hands are huge. So he put three huge handfuls of salt in this pot of polenta, <laughs> and I couldn't believe my eyes. You know, I was like, what the heck are you doing? And I felt, you know, I was horrified because as a student, I've always been like a A-plus student, so I felt like I had failed. You know, how could I have been mm. so far off? But also I felt like he was definitely ruining it. Like, <laughs> And so uh, <laughs> it was really kind of shocking to taste it alongside him and see actually it wasn't salty at all. That wasn't a word I could use to describe it. It just was so flavorful. And also the scale, the pot was a huge pot making enough polenta for 100 people. So I wouldn't put three handfuls in my home pot of polenta. Yeah. But those Christmas ornaments had a salt. But certain (laughs) things need more salt, right? I mean, I think that's what you're trying to, like polenta, mashed potatoes, certain things very neutral need a little bit. Unless, unless you have, see, that's the interesting thing. Unless you have a special kind of corn that is more heritage and filled with flavor and then you wouldn't want to overpower it to such a degree or does the salt but bring out yes. the flavor of the natural thing to me i think salt definitely brings out flavor and we all you know every human has their own palate and we all have different tolerances for the salt i guess i i definitely have been accused of making food that's like on and also i i over the years have gone up and down the scale but to me i really like to push flavor to the edge and i do think that any salt especially in that heirloom polenta will help bring out those like remarkable and nuanced flavors Mm. also you had said some foods need more salt i believe you know things that are really fatty things that are really starchy things that are really dense all those things need salt to help counteract their in you know their sort of innate And things that are sweet. I'm with you, Alex. Absolutely. And I know you feel that way, Samin. So let's do, Chris used your ingredients to make our seasoned salad with Mm -hmm. sliced steak. And it was just phenomenal. Oh, I'm so happy to <laughs> it hear was that. Phenomenal. Uh, not only wait, not only did I make it, I printed. What did I say? I printed seven copies of that, and I handed it to each one of my staff members because the most important thing on that is what I always say: taste. And mm-hmm. then you say taste again, uh-huh. and then you say a th- on that one you say a third time and taste again. So and I think they get bigger and bigger. Yeah. Every time you wrote them. So so these multiple tastings have to yeah. do with layering of mm-hmm. a particular flavor. So salt, and then tasting, and then salt, 
and then tasting yeah. and then more salt, right? And then tasting and so- again and then tasting once you got it to the point where you think it's right, then take the lettuce leaf, dip it in the dressing and taste it again because you're not going to be eating a spoonful of Caesar salad dressing. You're actually going to be putting that on something else that has no seasoning on it. Mm-hmm. So it has to maybe go up again. So tell me about uh, Samin Nosrat. What is the key to the the chapter on just because we you know we're short on time and I don't want to miss this the chapter on fat. What's the key thing or things we need to know about uh, as we're we're home cooks about fat? Well, the two sort of like kernels about fat. One is that fat is this incredible conveyor of flavor. I like to think of it like little burrows carrying flavor. So a great way to imagine that is um, if you sizzle, if you have two garlic cloves and you sizzle one in olive oil and you si- and you, then you put a little, the second one in a little pan of water and sort of simmer that in water, if you discard the garlic and taste the water, the water will just taste very mildly garlicky. But if you discard the garlic and you taste the oil, the oil will be really heady with garlicky perfume. It will have, mm. because so many aromatic molecules that are flavor mm. are fat soluble and not water soluble. So mm. um, thinking of fat as the foundation of a dish and working flavors into it is really, really important. That's one thing. And the other very remarkable and amazing thing about fat is that it it makes possible all of the really delightful textures of our foods that we love. And so if you can learn how to use fats to get those different textures, you can then, you know, make your decision, oh, today I really want to have something crisp, so I'm going to preheat my my fat. And if I want to have a really tender pastry, then maybe I'm going to melt my butter and add it to the flour Mm. so that it becomes very tender. If I want it to be flaky, then I'm going to keep the butter cold. So, you know, and the other two textures are creaminess and lightness. And so if you can learn how to manipulate your fat to get the texture you want, you can make better decisions without a recipe. Hmm. So um, you have a recipe in the book for pasta alla vongola, and we have that uh, clams and spaghetti, in other words. (laughs) We have that uh, at the website, foodschmooze.org, including information about this wonderful book that I, uh, it will certainly be on my shelf and I think should be on on anyone who's, if you're a home cook and wanting to really get it about how to even make recipes up in your head, these are the four things to know. And the way that Samin describes this is so fantastic. So, um, Spaghetti with clams, pasta alla vongola. This is the acids section, and she's talking about how to layer in the acids. And how would you sum this up, Samin? Well, what I like to think about, a lot of people, you know, acid is the element of balance, and it's what creates a contrast in our mouth that allows uh, food to be multidimensional. And so to me, it's really important to layer acids into a dish from the beginning. So in the vongole, it's, you know, wine that you use to cook the clams with, and that becomes a sort of basic acid for the sauce. And then as you come around to the end, you can add all these other little acids to tinker it and balance and perfect it. So maybe it's a fresh splash of wine or a squeeze of lemon juice or even sourdough breadcrumbs, which are a little bit tangy. Mm -hmm. Or my secret, which uh, Italians would definitely sneer at, is to put a little bit of Parmesan cheese, which is uh, (laughs) salty and acidic and um, full of umami. But if you just sneak a little secret amount in there, no one will be the wiser. That's so funny because... (laughs) I, um, I'll be at a restaurant and I will think that the pasta alla vongola might on occasion be a little bit boring and they'll come by and they'll say, would you like cheese? And I think, 
oh my God, this is like a mortal sin. They're judging so it. I, yeah, and I think <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, but put it in there, and may I have some more hot peppers, please? So it really does work. Um, so let me move on to uh, something that I think is quite remarkable. We have this recipe I'm about to talk about, and it is a corn soup, sweet corn soup. And most corn soups are uh, just like lobster and shrimp and scallops, very cream-based. No, this is a silky, sweet corn soup with just the corn, a little butter, and some onion. This is fantastic. This is at our website, foodschmooze.org, and, of course, in this book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Tell me about this. This was one of those kind of amazing, um, Mm (laughs) mind-blowing lessons that I learned when I was cooking at the kitchen at Chez Panisse Restaurant in Berkeley. And every day... Where? (laughs) (laughs) Where is that? Chez Restaurant. It's a little little place. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. And so, um, you know, there, as in most restaurants, they make a soup every day and... Almost, you know, not every single day, but many of our soups were just single Mm -hmm. vegetable soups using a base of onions, the sweetest, most flavorful vegetables we could find, and then either water and stock or stock. So the key really is to cook the vegetables to just the right point, not Mm -hmm. overcook them. And for this corn soup kind of special trick, it's such a nice time of year for this, is um, Mm. once you strip the corn kernels off the cob, you can just stick the cobs in a pot of water and make a really quick stock. And that becomes this sort of extra corn flavor that you're layering into your Mm. soup without having to cook the corn itself much longer. And then you just blend everything and strain it. And it's so, so smooth. And then the trick really comes in balancing and seasoning it to make sure you have the right amount of salt and to make sure that you um, have some sort of either like you can sneak a little acid in there or you could put a little acidic topping, like maybe a little lime and cilantro salsa on top or something for contrast with all that beautiful sweetness. Oh, this is so, such a wonderful idea. I mean, I understand that it's complicated for restaurants to do, but wow, Chris, Mm -hmm. in particular, I wish restaurants would do Mm -hmm. the the, uh, corn Mm -hmm. soup like this instead of the cream-based chowders (laughs) only. You know, uh, this is fantastic. It's at foodjamoos.org right now, but especially because... Uh, we're taking this recipe thanks to uh, Samin Nosrat's generosity from her cookbook. It is called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. And if you think or read about these four things, how to think about them, it's very understandable. It's not hard the way that she describes it. Oh, my goodness. You can just start, no matter what's in your refrigerator, say, oh, I think I'll add a little squeeze of lemon to this or a little cream or olive oil. or It's just the most amazing book, and I think this belongs on people's shelves permanently. That's just my humble opinion. Thank uh, you. Samin Nasrat, thank you so, so much. Thank for, you for having me, Chris. Oh, <laughs> oh, and Alex, thank you oh, for, for being our <laughs> guest. Really, a pleasure, a pleasure, a pleasure. Love your book. Nice to chat with you. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. We're on WNPR Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon weekdays. Listen for my 60-second food schmoozes and our slogan, Never Eat More Than You Can Lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton.
Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little more party in your life, we're here online at foodschmooze.org. And we hope you'll talk with us on Facebook. We're at Faith Middleton Foodschmooze.